This is The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins of Grace Calvary Chapel. Here's a little bit of a newsflash for us. The shaking that will ultimately culminate in Jesus Christ's return to the earth has already begun. Jesus told us that everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Have you turned on your computer lately? Have you looked at the news lately? Have you not seen the practical example, even in your own backyard, of the fleeting and shakable and crumbling nature of everything in this world? In Hebrews 12, the author reminds us to run the race with perseverance. But how can we run the race if we don't know the truth? How can we persevere if we're not grounded in what's real and everlasting? In today's message, Pastor Josh tells you that God's truth is the foundation of our faith and the guiding principle in your life. As he concludes his message in the book of Hebrews, Pastor Josh gives us a reality check about God's truth. When God returns, his truth will shake up this world. Now, here's Pastor Josh in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 as he continues his message, Climb the Better Mountain. I just can't deal with the church. I just can't deal with with those people. I can just have my own relationship with God, just me and Jesus, without the church. Well, not really. As dysfunctional as your family is, it's still your family. You can't get out of it because Jesus has adopted you into it. And we have become partakers of one another, the Bible tells us. We being many are one body in Christ. And I don't say that to excuse bad behavior of Christians. It breaks my heart to see how much bad behavior has given Christ such a bad name, has disillusioned people from going and being part of church. But you know, in times where I've become critical of others in the church, I have to remind myself to look in the mirror because I've got enough issues and problems of my own that other people have to put up with. I need grace for myself. And so we are in, and notice a general assembly that is the call together. Spiritually, you are part of a church that that exceeds boundaries, that exceeds space and time. You are part of a church that is all over the world currently in this moment. Your fellowship is with believers you don't know. Have you ever been visiting out of country or out of state, and you go to a church you've never been at, and eh, their worship's a little different, and the style's a little different, and maybe they're bent a little different theologically, but all of a sudden, when the word's taught, the people start loving each other, and they start singing to the Lord, it's like, yeah, I'm home. This, these are my people. It's because they are your people. You are part of the church, and, and note that promise, who are registered in heaven. I love this. You know, when I've gone on vacations before that are like we got a tight budget and we're going to try to go on a vacation. It's like, okay, let's make some reservations and let's find like the cheapest thing we can find. And I'm really excited that my name is like reserved and registered in the books of heaven. And there's like no motel sixes and there's no sketchy VRBO Airbnbs. And, (laughs) and it's something I can never afford Something I could, ne- could have never purchased. It's something I could, I could have never dreamed of. And Jesus, with his own blood, reserved my name in heaven. And Peter tells me that 
that name cannot be removed from heaven. No, no man, no one can take that name out of heaven because it's been sealed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And that is an incredible hope and an incredible promise that God knows my name. Everyone else here might forget your name, but God knows your name. And this isn't in my notes, and I don't want to sidetrack too much, but it came to my mind, and someone might need to hear it today. Uh, I don't know if many of you are still reading the one-year Bible with us, but if you've caught up or you're with us, uh, a little few weeks back, we got through Nehemiah, and there's two chapters in Nehemiah that are like all names. It's like, Hashpatite the Tethethite, and, and Hoseziah the Methuselahite, and you know, it's like, what are all these names? And, and I remember when I taught through Nehemiah, I was teaching on Sunday morning, I came to these two chapters, and I'm like, what am I going to do? You know, I'm just going to read all these names. And the Holy Spirit really spoke to me. And he said, uh, he said, Josh, aren't you grateful that I know everyone's name? Like, there's not one person in the church I forget about. There's not one person I see as wasted. There's not one person I look at and go, I, I don't know where I can use you. I don't know if I, I have a plan for you. I don't know. No, every person at every place on the wall, in every family, in every situation, in every circumstance, I pay attention to it. I know it. It's recorded in my book. And when I think about our names being registered in heaven, what blows my mind the most about that is that God remembers you, not just us. He remembers you, and he called you by name. And then finally, uh, well, not finally, but we are our next destination, Mount Zion, to God. We come to God, the judge of all. And again, that might be frightening. God is the judge of all. God on Mount Sinai was the judge of all. And God is still that same God who was on Mount Sinai, who is unapproachable in his holy nature, but the good news of how we approach God, the judge, is found in the next verse, verses 23 and 24. To the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. So when you and I come to God, the judge of all, we come through now the mediator, Jesus Christ, who has sprinkled us with his cleansing blood. And to the spirits of those who have gone before who have been made perfect by Jesus. I love this picture where Jesus has brought to us not the law on Mount Sinai, but grace on Mount Zion. And notice this little note here. It says, the sprinkling of the blood that speaks better things than Abel. And that's kind of random. Well, Abel, what, is, what does Abel have to do with any of this? Well, you might recall when Cain jealously killed his brother Abel because God accepted his sacrifice and rejected Cain's. And Cain got jealous. He killed his brother Abel. And when God approached him, what was said about the blood of Abel? His blood cries up from the ground. And the blood of Abel was crying for justice, crying for vengeance, crying for judgment. And here he says, Jesus' blood being sprinkled on the unclean, on the sinner, the blood that he shed that spilled down the cross and soaked into the ground, cries up as he delivered that blood on the altar in heaven before the Father, cries up not for vengeance, but for reconciliation. Not for justice, but for forgiveness. Why? Because Jesus' blood absorbed all the wrath, absorbed all the judgment, absorbed the justice of God for us, and it speaks to us a better truth, that God has accepted us. 
by his grace. And so when we look at all of these mountains, the twin peaks, so to speak, Mount Sinai, Mount Zion, what's the point? I think Paul is looking at his audience and subsequently looking at us and challenging us with this question. Why would you turn back to Mount Sinai after you've been invited to go to Mount Zion? Why would you want to go back into a relationship with God that is based on fear and on your performance and on his unapproachableness when you can come through Jesus and the doors can be open and you can be invited in, you can be made new, and you can have peace with God? Don't go back. Run forward. On this race, remember where you came from. Remember what God has done to bring you into his favor and keep running the race that is set before you. Finally, and we'll end here, verses 25 through 29 speak to us of the nature of God's kingdom. So we've seen the nature of Sinai. We've seen the nature of Zion. We've seen the contrast between the two. And now he motivates our life by saying, what does God's kingdom look like that we are now a part of? This is important. Stick with me. Verse 25, see that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, how much more shall we not escape if we turn from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised saying, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of the things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that's physical, and the things which cannot be shaken may remain, that's the spiritual. That's all a little dizzying to you. Here's the main thrust of his communication. First, he is saying, just as God spoke on Mount Sinai and his voice thundered and shook and the people heard his voice and they're like, Moses, don't let God talk to us. We don't want to hear his voice. It's going to destroy us. That was a powerful voice of God. And he said, if they ignored God's voice from that mountain, their end was doom. How much more that God now speaks to us from heaven to ignore the greater covenant and the greater gospel and the greater invitation and the greater truth that God is speaking through Jesus Christ. Every time the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, every time you open up the Bible and his truth hits your life, every time the gospel of Jesus is preached, it's God's voice thundering from heaven. Repent, be saved, be born again, be reconciled to God. And the Bible, clearly, Paul is giving us a warning here. To ignore the voice that speaks so plainly and clearly and loudly, everyone will be held responsible for how they responded to the invitation that God has issued by shouting the, the gospel of Jesus Christ into their life. Everyone will be responsible for how they've responded to that. And here's the encouragement that takes us back to chapter three. If you, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Today, if he's calling you, do not reject him. You will be held accountable if you hear the communication of God from heaven, be saved, I provided the way of salvation, be reconciled to God, and you go, you know what, I don't think so. I want to be my own thing, I want to do my own way, I want to create my own rules, I want to have my own God, I want to be my own person, God my way and not your way, you will enter into rightful judgment on the day that you stand before the creator. And I don't say that to scare you, I say that to say don't Go to Mount Sinai when you can enter into Mount Zion. And then he talks about here, 
his voice having the power to shake. There's <laughs> a whole lot of shaking going on. And notice here he said, he quotes actually Haggai chapter 2, and I'll read that to you, verses 6 and 7. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land. I will shake all the nations, and they shall come to the desire of the nations, and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. At Mount Sinai, the Bible says in Exodus 19, the earth shook and the people were afraid. And God's saying, that's nothing. Because one day, not only earth is going to shake, heavens are going to shake. When Jesus comes back, the judge of Jesus comes back and shakes all things. And everything that is physical, everything of this world will be shaken and removed. And everything that is of Christ's kingdom will stay. When Christ returns, the heavens and earth will be shaken. The armies and kingdoms of the earth will come to nothing. The rulers of the nations will come to nothing. Wealth and riches will come to nothing. The only thing that will stand that day is what has been established by Christ and his kingdom. And that, the author's point is, is the kingdom that you and I are inheriting. We will live and reign with Christ in a kingdom that no enemy can overthrow, no natural disaster can contaminate, and thank God no politician can mess up. <laughs> that is our future the things that cannot be shaken. And so here's one of two final challenges. Number one, if the author is challenging us that we have come to Mount Zion and that we are receiving a kingdom that can't be moved, shaken, destroyed, it can't crumble, then why is it that we insist on living our lives now for the things that will not be here once they are shaken? What is your primary focus for the resources, for the time, for the callings that God has placed in your life? Are they to invest in things that will remain after God consumes everything and shakes everything and they're still there? Or are they invested in things that will one day be of no consequence? It's recorded that on the Titanic, there were 11 millionaires. Of course, million, millions back then is a lot of money. Still is. I mean, I'm not saying I wouldn't mind having a million dollars. I just... And one survivor said that he had $300,000 worth of money, jewelry, securities in his cabin. And when he was interviewed after the Titanic sank and he made it back alive, he said this, at the time, the money seemed a mockery. I picked up three oranges instead. Wise man. When God shakes this world, all man-made values and treasures and foundations will seem like a mockery, a joke. Their fading and temporary nature is already obvious, isn't it? Here's a little bit of a newsflash for us. The shaking that will ultimately culminate in Jesus Christ's return to the earth has already begun. Jesus told us that everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Have you turned on your computer lately? Have you looked at the news lately? Have you not seen the practical example, even in your own backyard, of the fleeting and shakable and crumbling nature of everything in this world? The truth is already shaking things. And I'm seeing it, uh, maybe it's because I'm younger, but I'm seeing it more than I ever have 
Even in my study of history, where things are becoming clear, God's truth is shaking up the world. God's truth is shaking financial institutions, political bulwarks. God's truth is shaking nations. God's truth is shaking families, relationships, friendships, marriages, and churches. And the things that are not of the Lord and the Spirit and the kingdom are all starting to fall off the tree, and it's going to keep going, and it's going to increase in intensity. Are you ready? Are you rooted? It's been my experience, and I don't say this to discourage anyone. I hope it doesn't, because that might be a revelation within itself. But it's been my experience that in my life, God doesn't have a problem shaking up my world when I get too comfortable in it. He has no problem sending a trial or a discipline my way to remind me of what really matters because of how easily I forget Put it like this, when Jesus shakes up your life, he is trying to rid you of things that are crumbling and establish you on things that can never be moved. Is God shaking up things in your life right now? It's perhaps because there's some eternal purpose, some eternal value that you don't see yet. Something has been clouding you, something's been hindering you, something's been anchoring you into something that is not going to last. And God is saying, let me shake you up a little bit So that when you get to the end and you stand before me, you have treasures that remain. You have crowns that last. Everything else seems to want to just rip us off, even though it promises us all to the world. And so the conclusion he makes in verse 28 and 29 is therefore. This is the third therefore in the chapter. First, therefore, because we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who ran the race of faith, let us run. Second, therefore, because God disciplines us lovingly, let us strengthen our hands that hang down and let us strengthen our feeble knees. Third, therefore, because God is giving us a kingdom that can't be shaken and can't be moved and can't be blown away, let us, he says, have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and with godly fear." For our God is a consuming fire. The word serve can be translated worship. It's the prescribed way that one approaches God. And notice the motivation. The motivation of Sinai and the law is look at God, be afraid of him, and do your best. But the motivation to serve God in Mount Zion is look at all that God has done for you. Look at everything he's invited you into. Look at what he did when you couldn't do it. Look at how he saved you. Look at the love he showered upon you. Look at how he's forgiven you. Look at the kingdom he's offered you. And out of that motivation and gratitude and thankfulness, be motivated to worship God and approach God and serve God in a way that honors him, in a way that is acceptable to him. Paul would say, render, give, Lay down your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable act of worship or service. It's the only reasonable response to the kingdom that God has given us. And so he says, be careful not to invent your own way. If you can serve God acceptably, that means that you can worship him unacceptably by creating your own God or coming to him on your own terms. And he says this, for God is a consuming fire. And that statement I have chewed on this statement every day for the past week and have been seeming to fall short of its meaning and understanding. 
But here's what I'm getting, okay? Someone might be able to communicate that. I, I feel insufficient to communicate this. Our God is a consuming fire. Fire seems to be the only appropriate analogy when it comes to the nature of God. It still falls short as a physical analogy. But fire both can burn you or warm you depending on the context in which you approach it. Fire can either purify something or destroy something depending on the context in which it's approached. Think of it this way. If you have a fire in a fire pit, is that a consuming fire or a controlled fire? Right? If you have a fire in a forest, is that a consuming fire or a controlled fire? Most of the time, it, you would say that's a consuming fire. In other words, you can't control it. It's all consuming. You're not going to put boundaries on it. You're not going to stop its progress. And I don't think the purpose here is, is, is Paul trying to say God is like a destructive fire. The, the point is, is that when they saw the fire on Mount Sinai, and when Moses saw the fire consuming the bush, and when the day of Pentecost come and the people saw the fire of God consuming them, and when the fire of God comes and consumes the universe, you can't put boundaries and control God. You can't put him in your little fireplace and say, God, stay right here. God is a consuming fire, which means he will ultimately be all in all. There will not be an inch of this universe that is not God. Amen. Don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying the universe is God. That's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying when all is said and done, the only thing that will exist is not space and stars. It will be anything, the new heaven and new earth, and the presence of God everywhere. Are you someone who's trying to get away from God? You don't want to be in heaven. I mean, even now, David would say, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee? God, you're all-consuming. You're everywhere. You can't be controlled. You can't be stopped. And so the exhortation here is if you're receiving a kingdom that can't be moved, don't put God in your little box. Rather, let him consume your entire being. Let God consume your desires, your ambitions, your dreams, your focus, your resources, your name it. Put the name on it. Do not let... Do not put a boundary and say, God, don't come in this part. Don't do this, but no. God is going to consume all. Don't be consumed with his judgment then. Be consumed with his grace now. Let him consume you, every part of you. Let him burn away the things that are hindering you. Let him refine the things in you that are imperfected. Let the Lord's refining fire. On Mount Zion, his fire burned in judgment on Mount Calvary, his fire consumed our sin and love. But God, and that's how else to end it. Our God is a consuming fire. And so I would encourage you, at the end of your course, your race, you and I will each stand before the living God. The same God who consumed Mount Sinai with his fury and his glory, who caused the earth to tremble the strongest of angels and men to fearfully fall on their faces, the holy, all-consuming God will require an account from every person based on the righteous standards delivered on Mount Sinai. But God in his mercy, his love and grace has brought us himself to the path of Mount Zion where his salvation, his grace and truth are poured out to all who would receive it. Thanks for joining us today for Pastor Josh's study from the New Testament book called Hebrews. We hope you've been encouraged in your love of God and your love of the people of this world. 
If you'd like more information about The Ascending Life or would like to hear other teachings from Pastor Josh, visit our website at theascendinglife.com. We have an array of messages from different topics gleaned from God's Word, available in video and audio format. Feel free to download these messages and take them on the go as well. It's always great to add a bit of God's Word to every situation. And in this fast-paced world we're a part of, that can change the mood of a day in an instant. You'll also find links on our website to our social media pages, and we'd love to connect with you there. Like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram to stay up to date with everything happening at The Ascending Life and Grace Church. You'll find links to both at graceontheweb.org. If you're in the St. Joseph area, we'd be honored to have you join us at Grace Calvary Chapel for our weekly service. You'll find all the information you need about our church, service times, and locations at theascendinglife.com. Not in the area? No worries. You can still join us this Sunday for worship via our live stream. Just visit theascendinglife.com to connect. Thanks for being a part of our listening audience. We hope you've been encouraged by what Pastor Josh shared. There's much more to learn from the book of Hebrews, so be sure to join us next time right here on The Ascending Life. We're pressing